Thank you for coming. It's great to be here with you all. And, um, you know, I was thinking this morning um, in the message that Dwight shared this morning. Great message. In particular, at the end, I, I, probably, I thought as he was closing the message and the things that he was sharing, I thought, you know, what I'm going to do today, this evening, I'm going to say amen, say a few things, and then play back everything that Dwight said. I think that that will be okay. <laughs> You will hear some of the same things, which is good. Uh, we need to remind it. We need to be uh, encouraging those things. So it's going to be uh, good. I hope so, the Lord willing. So, so let me go ahead and, and pray first, and then we'll get in our study. Lord, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for this time <clears throat> to look into your word together, Lord, and get into some insights from the Lord Jesus Christ and his interaction uh, with the Samaritan woman, Lord. So we thank you for that, Lord. And just be with us, Lord. Or be with me, Lord. May I represent your word well. May be, be both encouraged and strengthened, Lord. And this is about you, Lord, that we may be uh, your ambassadors as we are your ambassadors, Lord. Uh, that we have a great message to share. And may we do so, Lord, faithfully, with understanding, with knowledge, with discernment, and with boldness, Lord. We ask you this in Jesus' name, Lord God. Amen. A few months ago... Uh, we got a phone call from my son, Michael. And uh, he said, basically, you guys are going to be grandparents again. Right? And we rejoice in that. So I went to work that night. And I told everybody at work that I was going to be a grandparent for the 12th time. I shared that good news. Right? Um, Hopefully, tomorrow after I get my root canal done, I'll come with you and say, hey, you know, praise the Lord, everything went well. That's good news. I want to share that with you. We're here here in the evening, right? And, uh, we have good news that we want to share with everybody. Uh, Alex got married yesterday. He was so excited. He will tell everybody he just got married. A girl gets engaged and she walks around like this, right? She wants everybody to know the good news, <laughs> But there is a good news that I'm not sure why we are timid to share. Isn't that true? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For some reason, when it comes to share that good news, there is a level of timidity. It's not just me. It was also the Apostle Paul, right? He prayed for boldness. So why is that? Why is that? I don't know. It's the best news that the world can ever hear. <laughs> and yet, I am timid about sharing. I think that the condition had to be perfect for me to be share, to share the good news. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, so that good news is, is the gospel. So when we think about evangelism, and we were to define evangelism... In simple terms, evangelism is what? Telling somebody else about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving the good news for them that they now they can be saved. They can be reconciled to God. Simple. And yet, we are timid about that good news. Um, so, how do we overcome, perhaps, that timidity? You know, how can we move forward even 
with that fear, with that hesitation, with that timidity about sharing the gospel. I think that there are two things uh, that we can do. Number one, of course, it will be prayer, <laughs> right? We bring it before the Lord. That, you know, even the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned, and I mentioned it later too, you know, he, he prayed. He prayed for opportunities. He prayed for boldness. So for some reason, that, that is the truth. So we bring it to the Lord. Uh, Lord, how do I go about here? Uh, I need to share the gospel. Uh, I know I got to do it, but somehow I'm, I'm being held back in my, my, my own fear for whatever it is. But there is that level sometimes of timidity, right? So there is one aspect that we can overcome that timidity, and that is through prayer, right? Reliance on the Lord, on the Holy Spirit. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So prayer, dependence on the Holy Spirit, is an aspect of that. Another aspect of overcoming timidity, I think, is preparation. Right? Uh, it's kind of interesting that sometimes, in, in, you know, we, we share a lot about having to share the gospel. But, you know, the, the, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ spent three years with him. With him. <laughs> right? Getting prepared, getting trained. So there is a level of preparation uh, that we... Um, what sometimes we have to go through. We need to think about or perhaps even practice about that, right? Uh, preparation, you know, Ned and I have been working on preparation, right? We're now driving in the car, and <clears throat> I tell Duanet, how you doing? I said, that two weeks ago. I said, how are you doing, Ned? Good, we, we're traveling. I said, are you feeling good? Yeah. Are you rested? Yeah, and so... When I'm going this way, she looks at me and starts smiling. She knows what's coming. Right? So I said, share the gospel with me. Right? Uh, and we think about those things. But sometimes it's important that we hear ourselves say those things. How do the words come out? It's different than rehearsing on our head than actually voicing those words. So I encourage you, if your husband and wife, to do that. If you're a parent, do that with your children. Say, you know what? I'm going to share the gospel with you. Not because I want to evangelize you, but I do, but so I can practice. <laughs> so there is that, that aspect, right, of preparation, you know, being ready to share the gospel. <clears throat> now, when we share the gospel, there are methods out there, right? Now, you have to think, so which one is the best method to share the gospel. Is it the, uh, the way of the master? Is it the Romans road? Is it the bridge to life? Which one is the best way to share the gospel? You know which one it is? The one that gets you to share the gospel. The one that gets me to share the gospel. Right? So the best way is that way that I do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> there is no bad way, or there is no the best way. There is no best way if I don't do anything, if I don't do it. So the best way is the way that I do it, right? And, of course, we're never going to get it perfect. We are never going to get things right. And every time that you share the gospel, I, know I lost it is with me, just about. I share the gospel, and then I turn around and say, and the first thing that comes to my mind, I shall turn around and say, man, I forgot to say this. Right? It happens often. <laughs> you always 
things come to mind that you forgot to say or that you think that you should have said. But, you know, we are out there sharing with people, giving them good news to them. What I want to do today is look a little bit at the, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and how he dealt with the Samaritan woman. And not as a matter of, not as a, as a matter of a method, per se, but as a way of for us to think about certain elements of the gospel and how to approach that. Okay? So that's what we are going to be looking at. Let me get the remote. Here it is. I need that. So, uh, and as I was studying this and thinking about this, uh, you know, the first three things that came out to mind, they all started with the letter E. So I have five things that go with the letter E. Uh, and I guess it matches well because evangelism also starts with E. So we call it the five E's of evangelism. <laughs> right? So we'll go from there. Okay. But if you turn with me, uh, turn to John chapter 4. Then I'll read a few verses. Um, let me read verses 1 through 4. In chapter 4, for me, it's a beautiful chapter in John. I love the way that the Lord interacts with the Samaritan woman. Okay. But in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, says this. And I'm going to be skipping around because there is a lot in this chapter. But there are certain things that I want to bring up. Uh, <clears throat> Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but he, by his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Uh, but he needed to go through Samaria. Right? And so we see that the, one of the things that we see here about the Lord Jesus Christ right, is that he has to make a point. Uh, and there is, a, even though I was talking about the master that he ought to, it's like a divine necessity. Right? He has to do this. For the Lord Jesus to go to Galilee, to Galilee he did not necessarily have to go through Samaria. The Jewish people got around crossed the Jordan, went north, and then crossed the Jordan again, going west, and they avoided the Samaritans. But the Lord Jesus was not that way. He said he must go through Samaria. There was something that he had to do. There was a, a divine uh, necessity that he had to do. Then when we get, uh, uh, let me uh, go on here to get to the first point. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sikar. The plot of the ground of Jacob, where uh, his, uh, what Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's will was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat down, excuse me, by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus said to her, give me water. Give me water. So the first E that I want us to consider here is the E of engage. E for engage. That's what the Lord Jesus did, right? He had to go through Samaria. He had an appointment to meet with this woman. She had an appointment with the Lord. She didn't know, right? And as he gets there, he started, he's thirsty. So he uses the circumstances that he is, he's in, and he's going to ask this woman for help 
in a way to engage her. So he begins the conversation. He says, you know, uh, give me a drink. And if we realize a little bit the, uh, the social circumstances, that's a no-no. <laughs> right. Culturally, that, that was something that a, a Jewish man would not do. And the woman recognizes that, right? She later on says to him, you know, how come you being a Jew ask me as a Samaritan for a drink? So there was some, some social distinctions there, some social barriers that, uh, uh, that were not godly barriers. And Jesus or forces say, you know, I'm going to approach the woman. But for us, the thing to remember is that if we are going to engage somebody, if we are going to evangelize somebody, let me say that correctly, if we are going to evangelize somebody, if we are going to share the gospel with somebody, the first thing that we need to do is to engage the person. Right? And how are we going to do that? Well, we can do it different ways. We can say good morning and start a conversation. How was your day? We can be in a restaurant. You know, I mentioned to you, some of you a few days ago, this gentleman was reading the paper and say, any good news? <laughs> right? And, uh, and he said, no. So I said, well, it was all about sports. So I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, yeah, I said, if I want to read good news, I'm, I'm going to go to the Bible. I thank God for the Bible, right? Because there is good news. So then I asked this gentleman, um, are you a Bible reader? And then I got the Heisman. <laughs> right? I don't want to talk about this. I had enough, right? That's okay. That's okay. I can only go as far as I'm allowed to go, right? But everything starts with an engagement. I have to say something to engage the people. Um, Because when we look at people, uh, we don't necessarily have to look at the social differences. We are going to look at them from their status before God. Right, that ought to be our motivator. Are they saved or they are not saved? You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. You know, don't look at the physical as- uh, aspect of the person. Don't look at their social status. Don't look at how wealthy they are, how good-looking they are, how smart they are. What we ought to consider is this person is in need of Christ. And therefore, now, what can I do to engage this person? What can I do to begin a conversation? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes uh, you cannot, right? But uh, that's what we do. And again, we, we greet. We say hi. We begin a conversation. We ask for help. Whatever it may be necessary, you know. Uh, and sometimes we just... Begin the conversation, engage. So, so that's what Jesus did. He asked for a drink of water. He had a need. But now through his need, he began a conversation with this woman. But then he did something else, right? Look at the next few verses. Uh, in verse 7, it says, give me a drink. Then he goes on, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So another thing that we consider, you know, he's trying to have a private conversation with this woman. So he eliminates distractions, you know. How many people do you need to go buy bread? Twelve? <laughs> How much bread are you going to get, right? 
So, but can you imagine the Lord trying to have a private conversation with this woman and, and the 12 guys just looking? Right. No, it wouldn't work. So, hey, boys, just go get some bread, right? <laughs> so he does that, sends him away. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she brings up that, that social distinction, that social breakdown there. You know, this, this is not normal. And then the Lord Jesus does something interesting. He says to her, Jesus answered and said to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it that says to you, give me a drink, you have asked him, and he would have given it, uh, you the living water. Now, Jesus immediately changes the conversation. He goes from the physical to the spiritual. And for quite a while in the conversation later on, the woman is not going to notice that. Eventually she does. But Jesus changes the conversation. But he does something interesting here. He entices the woman. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God. And our second point on what Jesus did here is the idea of enticing, right? Presenting something that the other person wants to know more. You know, you ask people, uh, we will say that the most important person in a person's life is who? Himself, right? <laughs> That's normally. Right? So, and people normally think, what's in it for me? And an unbeliever is going to think about that. So, Present, you know, an entice, you know, there is something here for you. And the Lord Jesus says to the woman, you know, yeah, I'm asking you about this water. But if you knew what I have to offer you, if you knew what the gift of God is, then you would ask him. And if you knew who is it that offers it to you, then you would ask him and he will give it to you. And there's a couple of things that we are going to discuss that. But what I see that the Lord Jesus, in a winsome way, in an enticing way, he gives something to this woman that she wants to know more about it. Okay. And, um, you know, sometimes transitions are difficult. And you cannot plan on a specific way that you're going to transition. And I, I was, uh, the guys that we have in the class, you know, we were, we were thinking about, man, I need to think about transition to the spiritual. I need to think about transition to the spiritual, from the physical to the spiritual. And, uh, and then I had a great idea. I said, man, I'm a genius. And I thought, I'm going to use the same thing that Jesus did. <laughs> right? uh, it worked for him, right? In different places, there are different transitions that we can ask. But can you imagine I'm, I'm sitting with a person, I'm visiting with a person, and I can say, hey, uh, have you ever heard about the, the good news of Jesus? Or have you ever heard about the gift that Jesus has for you? Maybe a friend from work or you're having lunch with a relative and say, uh, what is Kate? Uh, we got to Kate. You know, last week we were practicing in the classroom. So I approached Kate and I say, hey, Kate, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time. But I, I'm not sure if I ever was able to sit down with you and share with you about the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Kate knew what I was doing, and she prayed along with me, right? But that idea of engaging people 
And then having something to say to them, there is something here for you. God has a gift for you. Uh, and so, uh, and these are highlights, right, that, so that we can go ahead and then elaborate on, on that gift. And then we'll say, well, what is, what is that gift that Jesus has to, has to offer? And we'll get into that, okay? Uh, but Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask for it. You would ask for it, okay? So that leads us into something else, the third E that I thought. And that was the E of explanation. And this is where we're going to spend, if we get that opportunity, a lot of the bulk. To explain what the gift of God is. The living water. That eternal life. Right? For the wage of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So now Jesus, in the rest of the chapter, uh, part of the chapter, he's going to get into an explanation. He gives us that, an explanation. And in that explanation, as we see in the text, if you look at verse 10, there are two things that a woman must know. There is an aspect that she has to make a request, and then there is an answer, right? And we see that on, on verse 10. Um, and Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who gives us to you, give me a drink. So two things to know. You would ask him a request and he will give it to you. An answer to that, to that request. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, that gift of God, right? And uh, I said about Romans 6.23 that the gift of God is, the, uh, is eternal life in the context of the living world. It's the eternal life that God has to offer. Now, when we go to, uh, to Romans chapter 8, not Romans, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, we see Philips, the evangelist, who gets transported one, one place to another. And there's a eunuch traveling and reading the book of Isaiah. And as the eunuch is reading, he, he's scratching his head. He doesn't know what to do. So the Lord moves Philip to the eunuch. And the eunuch is reading a couple of verses from Isaiah. And Philip says to him, Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what's going on here? And the eunuch said, You know, how would I if nobody ever tells me? Nobody teaches me about that. So the scripture says that, Philip began from that scripture and explained Jesus to him, right? One of the things that we are doing in our class is uh, to have us a go-to verse. A go-to verse that when we're talking to somebody, we can start on that verse and then from there explain Jesus, elaborate Jesus. I think that John, uh, Romans 6.23 is a good verse. But John 3.16 is a good verse. 1 John 5, 11, 12 is a verse. Romans 5, 8 is a good verse. There is a lot of verses. Mark 1.15, what is John? Mark 1.15 <laughs> is a good verse, right? There is a lot of good verses. But the idea is what? Is to have a go-to verse and have that verse known well enough and be able to elaborate on those elements in the verse that we are going to talk about and then go ahead and explain 
what the gift of God is to this person and the response and the answer. So let's look into that a little bit, right? So the Lord says, talks about the gift of God, that, that gift of eternal life that he has, right? Uh, I, I got a gift from God. And then, so when we say that, say, well, what is this gift? Well, we say eternal life. And then we start to think about some questions. Well, it, eternal life as opposed to what? Eternal death. Well, don't I have eternal life? If I don't have eternal life, why is it that I don't have eternal life? And we can explain those things and introduce the gospel, right? Well, no, you don't have eternal life, and that is because of sin. You are dead in our church, trespasses of sin, and now you're separated from God. Okay? So from one verse, we can take a, a, use that as a, as a spring to explain in the gospel. So we, we do that. We do engage, and we be in an explanation. So that's the first thing that Jesus said to the woman that she needs to know, what the gift of God is. Okay? But then he says to the woman, you also need to know what? Who is that gives it to you? So what, that, what is Jesus telling her about? What does she need to know? Okay, do I say it this morning? Two things that we need to know about Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah. In that case, she needs to know that he's the Messiah, right? And that he is the source of that eternal life. The one who's going to die on the cross for our sins. So what she needs to know is who he is. And she tells him later on, she said, well, I know that the Messiah will come, she says. And Jesus said, yeah, it's me. <laughs> right? Yeah. So who is it? Yeah, there is a gift of life, a gift of eternal life that God is offering us. But who gives it to us? Well, the one who gives it to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. You know, and for me it's important uh, to think about and to emphasize the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Because the cornerstone of, of Christianity, if I would say it that way, you know, is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if people can knock down the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the whole of Christianity falls apart. But in the book of Acts tells us, you know, that after Jesus resurrected, he was about for 40 days, giving many proof to all many people. So, He's saying, yeah, I'm here, I'm here. Let me do some miracles for you to show you that it's me. Okay? So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to the presentation of the gospel. You know, he's a recent Savior. He's a recent Lord. So who he is, right, and what he has done for us. Uh, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 eight says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yes, sinners... Christ died for us. That's what he has done. So again, the two things that needs to know. What this eternal life is. Do we have it? If I don't, why? And if I don't, how do I obtain it? Uh, how does it come about? Who provides that eternal life? Well, that is the Lord Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. Then the other thing that we say there in verse 10 is that the Lord says to her, if, if you knew, then he goes, says, you who have asked him, 
You would have asked him. Such shows a level of human responsibility in asking. Say, I want these things. I have to want these things. I have to have a desire. And I have to ask. I say, Lord, I want that. You know, I receive you. That's what we see a lot in the scripture, right? To, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust him. Basically, when we say, you know, I got to want him. Okay? I got to want this Lord. And I want to want this Savior. I have to ask. Sir, give me this water. Right? She said later on. She asked for it. But we see that need to ask. In presenting the gospel, uh, we need to remind the people that they need to respond. They need to accept. They need to say yes to Jesus. Right? For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. For God so loved the world, that gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. So there is a level of human response there. They need to respond to this message. They need to respond to, to the news of eternal life. And they need to respond to the person who's offering that eternal life, the Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the request that she makes, right? You need to, you need to ask. We present the gospel, but we are not going to shove it down to the people and say, you know, if you pray this prayer with me, no. You know, I uh, was talking to a person at work a few days ago, yesterday, <laughs> and I asked him, uh, uh, I said, well, what, what do you do? Uh, how do you put your trust in Jesus? And I said, well, well, you pray. And I said, well, is there a verse in the Bible that says that? There's not really one. <laughs> and then he said, well, you believe. I said, well, that's a good answer. And then I ask you, well, what do you believe? Right? So follow up. You know, uh, keep on building the question. Ask more questions. Get insight. And we were talking today in class. You know, that sometimes the problem that we have is that when a person answers, we provide the definition to the words that they use when they answer. Right? So they say, I believe, and I understand with my background. What belief means, and I put my understanding on their word. And in many, in many cases, it's not that way. So we ask, well, what do you believe? What do you mean by that? And then the last part that we see the Lord Jesus Christ say on this engagement with the woman, uh, he uh, explains, you know, he elaborates, right? Is, uh, let me find my notes here. Need to ask. There is a D point somewhere here. Maybe I haven't got to it. I'm not using my notes as much as I should, right? Oh, I got a little bit more to go. <laughs> Something else that I wanted to bring up, right? Uh, so the Lord tells the woman, if you would ask, if you would believe, right? If you would receive. And the woman said, as we mentioned, says, Lord, give me this Water. Look at verse uh, 15. So the Lord says, you got to ask, you got to receive it. And she says, I want it. Let me have it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. What did the Lord Jesus say to her? Okay, it's yours. No. He didn't do that. He said, uh, you know what? 
there is something else that we need to address. And he said, woman, go get your husband. And she said, well, you know, I don't have any help. And the Lord Jesus knows that. And so later on, she concludes that he's a prophet because he told her about that. Well, is Jesus trying to impress her with his knowledge, with his prophetic knowledge about her life? No, no. So why does the Lord Jesus tell this woman, go get your husband? When he knows that she doesn't have one. Well, it's so he can address her sin. He can address her sin. Why does he want to address her sin? So he can talk to her about repentance. Right? There is, if I'm not going to talk about repentance, might as well leave the idea of sin out. There is no need to talk about it. <laughs> so the Lord is bringing her sin out. Yeah, you know, you have five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. And of course, we don't have all the interaction here, right? This is a summary of the interactions that took place. But if we are going to address sin, and the Lord Jesus does in the engagement, it has to be for the purpose to discuss repentance. And as I was thinking about this, you know, normally when we talk about the dispensation, we say that there is something consistent in all the dispensations. And that is that salvation is what? Yeah, consistent through all the dispensations. The Old Testament, the church age, the tribulation, the millennium, whatever it may be, consistent through all the dispensations is the idea, the teaching, that salvation is always by faith. Well, let me tell you something else that is consistent through all the dispensations. You know what that is? The call to repentance. You find that in the Old Testament. You find that in the church age. And you find that in the tribulation. When John the Baptist came out preaching, what did he say? Oh, that they needed to repent. Let me share a few verses. In Ezekiel 18.30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to his ways, says the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Then in John the Baptist, say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So where we see that the Old Testament dispensation Salvation is by faith, but there is also a call to repentance, right? We know in the, in the, in the church age, Acts 17, 30 or 31, right? Uh, says, truly the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all. By raising him from the dead. See? This is the church age. And still, they say, yeah, we are saved by faith. But there is a call to repentance. It's a call to a change of mind. To a change of disposition. To a change of purpose. Okay? So, it's a, and then when we get to the tribulation period. In Revelation 9, 20 and 21. It says this. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, that they should not worship uh, demons 
and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor can hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their theft. So, yes, faith is a consistent form of salvation in the Old Testament by trusting the Lord, in the New Testament, right times in the church age, in the tribulation time. But it's also true that it's consistent. It's the call to repentance, right? To have a change of mind, a change of disposition, a turning from sin to God, or a turning to God from sin. That is real, both in all the dispensations. And it's part of what the Lord Jesus elaborated with this woman when he said to her, Go call your husband. So, um, let me see what I want to do. Okay, so that's good enough right there. <laughs> and then, the last thing, uh, thing that we see the Lord Jesus Christ do with the, with, the, with the woman here, and he says, and he will give it to you. Isn't that neat? You know, and God says, listen, if you know who I am, and what I'm doing for you. And, the, and what it really is that I'm giving you, right? Uh, a relationship with God with all eternity. You are not going to be condemned. You're not going to hell. right? You're not going to be separated from God. And my son, Jesus Christ, God in human form, is dying on the cross <clears throat> for our sins. He's dying on the cross to bail us out. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can be reconciled to God. And I said, and, and what you have to do is trust and repent. Turn to. Change your mind about your sins. Change your mind about the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit that God is right. He is the only way of salvation. And put your trust in him. And if you do that, Jesus says what? He doesn't say... Depart from me, I never knew you. <laughs> he says, I will give you the gift. What a great comfort that is, right? That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will not be ashamed. Right? Uh, there's a couple of verses that I wanted to share here. John six thirty-seven says, uh, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I see Jesus saying, if you come to me, I'm not going to reject you. You understand who I am. You understand what I'm doing for you. You understand the gift that I'm giving you. And I'm going to say yes to you. And then, um, Matthew, come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You come to me. And I will give you rest. You're searching all over the place for peace. You're searching all over the place for a restored relationship. You want to be right with God. You don't know where to go. Come to me and you're done. <laughs> I'll give you rest. The search is over. Right? Those who come to Jesus, Jesus will not say no. And we discuss that as part of the uh, explanation as we engage and that we explain to the person what we are going to do, okay? Um, I normally, when I teach, I like to ask any questions, but 
I cannot do that now. So if you have any question later on. <laughs> so the next thing, the next point is the, uh, is the point of uh, exhortation and encouragement, right? At a certain point, you know, we began with the uh, engagement. We talked to the person. Then we entice that. We say something to say, you know, I, there is something really good for you, right? God has a great gift for you. And we go on, and then we explain that great gift of eternal life. Eventually, you got to bring things together, right? You got to come to an end. And what we are going to do at that point? Well, we are going to exhort the person. We are going to encourage the person to make a decision for Christ. Now, in Second, in yeah, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians three, Paul said, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." Right? You know what? We don't save anybody, and there is a, a certain level of freedom that the verse provides, and that is that I'm not responsible for the fruit. Right? God does the work in the heart. And we read that in John, right? That all that the Father gives me, I will not cast out. So God is working in the hearts of the people. And all those who come to him, he will not cast out, right? But at a certain point, you say, well, how do, now I share the gospel, now what? Well, there is a great verse, and if you have your bulletin, I had it in the bulletin, but in Second Corinthians chapter 5, those verses that were in the bulletin today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn with me there, if you would. One of my also favorite passages. And it's the idea of exhorting people. Say, hey, you know, what keeps you now from committing your life to Christ? Why would you say no to Christ? Do you understand what Christ has done for you? Now, would you receive that? Would you say yes to the gift of God? But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, and a couple of verses down, says, now all these things are from of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us the ministry, committed to us the word of ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were Pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, the picture that is presented here is that it's of God getting on his knees and saying, I beg you, please repent. Please trust me. Please say yes to Christ. So at a certain point, when the conversation comes out, you know, there may be different ways to do that. But the point is that at a certain point, we want to invite the person to say, what are you going to do with Christ now? Now that you know who he is, now that you know who he's done for you, what are you going to do with him? You know, I was reading a commentator for a verse, and he said something interesting. He says, there is no virtue in getting too deep. <laughs> Meaning, you know, the gospel is simple. Don't get too wrapped around things, but make it simple. Keep it clear, right? And uh, use the time that you're given. Uh, sometimes we have a lot of time. Sometimes we don't. You know? I was talking to Duanette on our trip, and, uh, and I asked her to share the gospel. And 
And so after a little while, I say, okay, you know, she, okay, how do I start? And what do I go? What do I say? And uh, so then I say to her the same thing as I told this guy. I said, now, you are in the hospital and, the, and you got two minutes because the person is going to die in two minutes. What are you going to tell them? And she went, I tell him, boom, 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 boom. Perfect. So you have a minute and a half left. <laughs> right? So a lot of time, when we have a lot of time, we, we get lost because we have a lot of time. And then we are pressed for time. We seem to be able to focus and narrow our idea and make a good, clear presentation of the gospel. Sometimes it requires conversation, but sometimes, you know, we just have to be clear and to the point. But every time we need to come to a point where we say, uh, okay, now what are you going to do with Jesus? And the last part is what I want to be in just a few minutes, is the exit part. Right? <laughs> At a certain point, you're going to say, okay, you know, i see you tomorrow. Okay? And that will depend on how the person responded to you. Right? If they give you the Heisman, so, well, I don't want anything else to do, well, you never see that person again. Perhaps the person may say something, you know what, I'm not ready now, but maybe I'm interested in learning a little more. I had a guy at work tell me that yesterday. Right? Say, we'll talk about this again. Great. Okay. Sometimes you say, well, you know, now that you made a profession to Christ, you have become part of God's family. And part of God's family means every Sunday at 10 p.m. and 135 Bennett. <laughs> right? So we invited to church. Oh, you know, by the way, since you're part of God's family, uh, you know, there is a book that God wrote you. You may want to be spending some time with him. Oh, by the way, maybe you want to talk to God. At a certain point, we may have to say, oh, you too need to identify with Christ, right? You need to get baptized. But we bring that to an exit, right? To say, what do we do now? Well, it depends what the person did, right? Uh, always leave the door open. Always leave the opportunity for follow-up conversation, Right? Uh, but at a certain point, we are going to have to exhort, and we are going to have to say, uh, yeah, I'll see you later, <laughs> or whatever it may be. So what have we been studying in our evangelism class? You know, we've been looking at these five E's, and, and the idea is we need to, we need to engage people. You know, I love to hear, and she's not here, where is she? Amy. You know, Amy, I love when she goes to the grocery store and she comes back and tells a story how she met somebody at the cash register and she talked to somebody. That is great, <laughs> right? An engagement, right? So you engage the people, then we entice, say something along the lines, have you heard about the gift of God that he has for you? Or whatever opportunities you have, right? Then we get into explaining that gift of God. And it's a good idea to have a go-to verse, something that you start from, right? I'm going to start from here, and it depends what the verse is. A lot of the stuff is in the verse. Or then you can incorporate different verse. At a certain point in the conversation, in the clarification of things, we invite this person to make a, a, a decision. Make a decision now. What are you going to do with Christ? And eventually we'll say, hey, it's nice visiting with you. Okay. Yeah, evangelism, you know, the gift of God, the gift that we are timid about sharing, and yet it's the gift that changes lives for all eternity. Okay? We have the privilege to do that, to share that. 
Uh, I'll encourage you to practice it. Uh, I encourage you to talk to yourself, talk to your wife, have a plan, have a, a go-to verse, whatever plan you want to do. But practice. Don't be shy. You know, Mac, put Margie on the spot tonight when you go home. Say, Margie, share the gospel with me. Margie, talk, talk to Mac. You know, husband and wife, do that to each other. Yeah. The first time is going to be awkward. The first time you're not going to say, know what to say. But you know you do it today, you do it tomorrow, you do it the day after. And guess what? It becomes easier. It becomes easier. Okay, bro, 